Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by pastoral resident Ian Mulraney. Okay, our scripture reading tonight comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 38. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matthat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semyon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joannon, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Nerai, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joseph, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melah, the son of Menah, the son of Mahateah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sirug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. The word of the Lord. Hey, wake up! Uh, did anyone else fall asleep during all those names? <laughs> uh, yeah, good job, James, for, um, I'm not sure if they were pronounced correctly, but they were pronounced confidently, and that's the most important thing when reading biblical genealogies. Yeah, so, um, welcome to our passage tonight. We have this short little snippet about Jesus being baptized. Last week, we talked about John the Baptist and how he was uh, preaching and baptizing everyone out in the wilderness by the Jordan. And then, um, so we get this short little snippet. The dove lands on Jesus. You are my son, uh, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. The voice from heaven says, then it says, Jesus was 30 years old when he began his ministry. And then we go into this long 77 list uh, 
of names and uh, or 77 names on the list. And it just can be a spot where when we're doing our daily devotionals or doing our um, Bible study on our own, our eyes can glaze over and we can fall asleep or skip it sometimes. Um, so thank you for listening and reading that. And um, I think there's a purpose why we have this genealogy right after the baptism of Jesus. Um, and that there actually is reason why we should focus on it and pay attention. And that's by this simple phrase that comes at the very end. Could you go back one slide just to, uh, so we can see the text? <laughs> when we get to the son of Adam, the son of God. And what does the voice say when the dove lands on Jesus? You are my son whom I love. So this genealogy ends with God's son, Adam, made in his image. And the baptism has Jesus being declared God's son, whom he loves. We're getting um, a reminder that Jesus was not just plopped out of heaven. He had all these earthly relatives that go back generations and generations. He was fully man. But as the voice says, he was fully God too. He was God's son. And so we're tied together with this phrase, son of God, you're my son. And so what we know is Jesus was descended from man and he was descended from God. And the point that I want us to take away from tonight is that we too, we are descendants of Adam. We're descendants of man. But through Jesus, we're also descendants of God. Adam is the original son of God made in his image who through his DNA, we are all connected. And Jesus is the new son of God, the beginning of the new creation. And through the adoption of him and his father, we get to be part of his family too. So I don't know what you think when you hear that you are descended from man and from God. I don't know if that confuses you. I don't know if there's any pushback. We're going to talk about that tonight and dive in. Um, so, yeah, so the first thing, let me, let me just pray and then we can talk about it. So, Father, just be here. Let your spirit guide us. Let the, uh, let the things that we're taught um, be from you and have meaning. Help us to love greater. Help us to forgive more. Help us to know that our identity is found not in the things that we do or have done, but in you and our relationship with you, Lord. Help us to feel and experience your love. May your spirit be upon each of us tonight and be with us as we go from this place to uh, declare and bring your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So why genealogy? Has anybody ever looked into their own personal genealogy before? Has anyone ever made a record of that? Yeah, it's actually not something too uncommon. Like even to this day, we keep records of who is in our family. Where do we come from? We have last names uh, that tell us what culture we're from. Mulraney is Irish. You know, I have descendants on my mom's side that are German. Um, all of us care about our family and where we come from and where our ancestors have been 
because knowing that helps us form a key part of our own identity. Uh, like I was saying, it gives us culture. It gives us stories and know, um, know what kind of careers were in the family. Where did we come from? Who are we gets answered when we know where have we come from. It also helps us know, you know, when you go to the doctors, they ask you, is there any medical history of high cholesterol or cancer or anything in your family? It helps us know what kind of obstacles we might have to overcome in this life, both physically and sometimes sinfully, spiritually too. Sometimes addictions run in the family. Uh, they found that trauma can get passed down in DNA and that people, you know, children of people who were traumatized will experience the same kind of symptoms and anxiety and things that the parents felt. And so Luke gives us this, this long list of who was in Jesus's earthly family. And Jesus had some awesome people in his earthly family, names that you probably perked up like, oh, Judah or David that you paid attention to. He also had some nobodies in his family. I don't know who Risa is or Joanon. Um, and so this is all part of his legacy of where did he come from and who was he? And so Luke puts this in here so that way we, the reader, get to be familiar with the legacy that Jesus is entering into as the new son of God beginning the new creation. Um, so you can jump ahead. I highlighted some of the famous people in his genealogy that when you're reading this, you would have all these Old Testament stories that you'd be familiar with. Um, we have people in his genealogy like King David. David, who was a man after God's own heart. He was the second king of Israel, and he did some of the most work in unifying Israel um, he made the capital in Jerusalem and made Jerusalem the religious center of the kingdom. Uh, he did a lot of major things. We know David and Goliath. He's a hero from the Old Testament. We have Abraham on the right. Abraham, he was a nobody called by God. And in faith, Abraham made a tremendous step to leave everything he was comfortable with and trust God and follow him. And through that, Abraham was able to have children when he was in his 90s um, and his wife was in her 90s. And they were able to uh, have relationships with kings and amass great wealth and prosper and eventually become, you know, this man is the forefather of the Jewish nation. Um, we have Adam going back to the very beginning, the one who started it all and who's a little PG-13 for our uh, slides up there. But Adam, who walked with God, who was made in his image, who named all the living creatures. There are other names too, Noah, Judah. These were all awesome people. But the thing is, starting with Adam in the middle, they were all broken people too. At one point in all of their lives, did they turn away from God and turn towards sin? We know Adam's fall in the garden, choosing to eat from the tree he was forbidden from, blaming his wife for pointing him to it when he willingly did what he was not supposed to. Abraham, Abraham was a liar. He deceived 
king of Egypt and uh, other kings because he was afraid for his life. And it ended up that he basically sex trafficked his own wife in order to get wealth for himself. Not only that, he had a servant whom he married, got pregnant, and then kicked out of his home. He created a single mother. King David, King David, who fought the Philistines, who conquered Goliath, but in his battles, got a lot of blood on his hands. You know, he wanted to build the temple for God, and God actually had to tell him, I appreciate this, but you can't. It's going to be someone else because there's too much blood on your hands. And everybody knows King David's famous sin with Bathsheba, which Hollywood says is, you know, a steamy, lustful affair, but sociologists would say is a power rape. He covers it up by murdering Bathsheba's husband. What do we make of this? These are men who did amazing, tremendous things, who had amazing faith in God. And they're all men who fell in different ways and did horrendous things too. Some things we would put people in jail for. This is Jesus's family. This is the heritage he has and the legacy he comes from. And in many ways, it's like our families too. I don't need to tell you how broken your family is, but I can tell you a little bit about how mine is. Um, over Christmas, we were privileged to get to see my great-grandmother who's 96 years old. Um, she claims the secret is drinking a little ounce of apple cider vinegar every day if anyone wants to try to get to that age. but. Um, so she's 96, and we were able to get to see her, which we were worried about because of coronavirus and everything. If you know, So everyone had to isolate and make sure we could see great mammy. That's what we call her. Um, you know, Because you never know how many Christmases she has left. And one of the gifts my sisters got her this year was this book called Tell Me a Story, Grandma. And it's just this big journal with each page has a different prompt about, tell me something about your life. Uh, so the questions are like, what was your first job? Um, how did you meet, you know, your husband? Uh, what were holiday traditions you looked forward to when you were a child? So on and so forth. And so she was flipping through the book and was answering some of them to us in person after she had opened it and telling us a lot of funny stories and uh, things like that. And she flips to one page that says, what was your mother like? And she pauses and thinks for a second. She says, well, I remember when I was about three or four years old, a little thing, I remember running up to my mom, say, mommy, mommy, hold me, like little kids do. And next thing I know, I remember flying across the floor, ended up all the way in the other side of the room after my mother had kicked me and she said, get your dirty hands off me, you filthy son of a. And me and my siblings paused, horrified at this story she just told. She looked up and said, so I guess that wouldn't be a good story to write in this journal. <laughs> 
That story had extra meaning for me and my siblings because what we had been talking about earlier that Christmas break was about the fractured relationship my sisters have with my mother and things that my mom had done and said to them that caused them to have brokenness and just not a healthy relationship. And we remembered stories from my mom talking about how my grandmother had mistreated her when she was growing up. And we all knew stories from my grandmother talking about this great grandmother about when she was growing up, things that she had done that had traumatized and abused her. And it became clear when my great-grandmother told this story about my great-great-grandmother that the pain my sisters experienced at the hand of my mom was not just something that happened in my immediate family, that this was a legacy of the mothers mistreating their younger daughters in my family that went back at least a century. Who knows how long before that? There's a legacy of brokenness that my family has inherited. My family comes from Adam, made in God's image, but betrayed God in the end. But my family is in Christ too. You can hit that again, please. Jesus is the new creation. He's the new Adam. He is God's son whom God loves. And Jesus is going to, in the pages following this chapter, begin his ministry. And he's not going to sin. And he's not going to abuse others. He's not going to kick children across the floor. He's going to love. He's going to heal. He's going to take the brokenness that affects Adam's sons and bring healing to their physical bodies and forgiveness to their spiritual ones. Through him, God's family is going to grow and his kingdom is going to come. So this is good news, but it's hard news. That can actually sum up most of Jesus's teachings, but it's good news because it means that no person and no family is beyond redemption. Even the worst families are made in the image of God, even if you have to use a magnifying glass to see it. Wounds can be healed, severed relationships reborn. Forgiveness is possible, but it takes work first. It means that we have to know that we are descended from man and that we are descended from God. We have to know both these things. On the one hand, we are not guiltless people. No one in here is Jesus. We contribute to the brokenness in this society 
We contribute to the brokenness in our families. We contribute to the brokenness in ourselves. We're angry. We're bitter. We're lustful. We're greedy. We do and say things that bring pain and damage to others. And so we have to know that's part of our legacy. We're descended from Adam. And so part of that is we contribute to the sin and brokenness that exists in this world. But ultimately, at the end of the day, whatever terrible or horrendous thing you or I have done doesn't get the final say. Jesus has come. And by his blood on the cross, we get to experience God's forgiveness. The temple curtain has been torn and we get to be in the kingdom with him. God knows what you have done. God knows what you have thought. He loves you anyway. And it's important for us to know that our family, our identity is in God, is in Christ. Because unless we know that, we're not going to begin the kingdom work of making things better in our lives now. If we know the bad things we have done, we're going to become people who just are filled with self-hate and self-rage. We're going to think we're not good at anything and we can't contribute anything good to our lives or society. But that's not what this is saying. Jesus loves you in spite of what you've done, not because of what you've done. You don't have to be perfect people. We're sons of God adopted through Jesus. And so once you're confident in the knowledge that your identity is in Christ, you can be honest with yourself and with others that, yeah, I've done some bad things and there's some good in me too. It keeps you level-headed about and honest with who you really are. You know, sometimes we like to bury the bad things that we do, but knowing we're from God, we can be honest that we're bad people. This brings us to repentance and confession. Once we're not afraid that if we confess and own up to our mistakes, if we get past the fear that I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be punished, I'm going to be scorned or despised, we don't have to guard our identity. We don't have to guard our image and our social media presence anymore. We can be who we really are and know that God loves us in spite of it. And so we can say, yeah, I messed this one up. Yeah, I let my temper fly out of control. Yeah, I made some mistakes. I did something I shouldn't. We're able to confess this. So know you're loved, know you're sinful. Confess, repent. And then the last part is you have to forgive others too of their brokenness. And this can be where it gets really hard. Um, I had a God moment tonight at church before we, before I came up here, uh, during the worship. You see, months ago, somebody who I admired, who I was very close to, betrayed me, 
his family and a lot of other people. Um, this was a mentor, this was a friend. Uh, this was someone who taught me a lot about Jesus. And when I found out what he had done, my heart was broken and crushed and I was filled with anger and grief and rage. And I didn't know what to do. When I tried to reach out, this person cut off communication. And so I didn't talk to them for months and I just stewed. And outside I was fine, but there was a part of my heart that was letting this brew. And so about two or three weeks ago, I got an email from them confessing what they had done and asking for my forgiveness. And when I read that email, I didn't have words. I didn't know what to say. I knew what I should say, but I didn't feel it. It doesn't seem fair that perpetrators can get off scot-free. This is the, the, the hard part of grace, right? If we really believe grace, if we, if I'm, you know, I'm preaching to you guys and I'm hoping you never felt trauma like this, but I know people who in their families, you know, I, I have people who their parents sex trafficked them when they were kids. And so I can preach a sermon about, you know, our families are broken, but God can heal things. But how is that girl supposed to look at her parents who work together to traffic her between the ages of four and 11? This is the scandal of grace, right? That none of us are beyond God's love. Don't we want to say some people are? Like my friend's parents, serial killers. Don't we want to say they're beyond God's grace and love? Maybe we don't actively speak that, but don't we carry that in here? We want justice. And that's what I wanted. I didn't want to forgive my friend who hurt me. And so I didn't respond to him. I didn't respond to him for three weeks. But I don't know what the first song was called, but it was about, you know, God makes us holy people. And I, was remember, I, I remember the passage that before you come, Jesus teaches this, before you come to the temple with your offering, if there's anything you hold against anyone or that they hold against you, go and be reconciled to them and then come and bring your offering. And my friend came on my heart. And so I just sent him a quick text saying, I love you, I miss you, I forgive you. And as soon as that text was sent, 10,000 reasons came playing. Thanks, Susan. You didn't plan this, but that friend taught me that song on a very special day for me. It was the day that me and Amanda had kind of first started dating. And so I always think of that song associated with that friend who had wronged me. And as soon as I heard it, 
my heart crumbled to pieces just right now. <laughs> I didn't plan this part of my sermon. And I realized that God's love is possible for all of us. And I don't have, I don't know if I have a text message waiting for me or not, but our families are broken. We are broken. There's duality in all of us. And because there's duality in us, there's duality in all of our structures, our families, our schools, our nations, our church. There's good things that reflect the image of God and reflect the teachings of Christ. But there's bad things. There's brokenness. There's sin. There's, you know, people playing power games and there's people manipulating and hurting each other. And, and they are broken. And so what we are called to do as Christians, what knowing that Jesus was fully man and fully God, what knowing that we're descended from God and from man compels us to do is to know that there's good in each and every person out there and there's bad. And we have to see the image of God in them and call that forth and teach them to bring that out and to love and to forgive and to forgive over and over seven times 70 We also name the bad, right? Especially if it's our tribe, if it's our family, if it's our church, we're allowed to call out when things are going wrong. And in fact, it's necessary that we do, or we'll go off the guardrails and become something that's not what Christ intended. Sometimes that means confession on our own part. Sometimes it means getting together in Christ-like manners you know, um, talking to someone one-on-one -on -one, and if they don't listen, getting someone else to come with you to address issues of sin. Sin is real and it breaks down community. It breaks down our lives. So we have to address sin. We have to know it doesn't get the final say. Always be pointing to the cross. Always be pointing to Christ. Always be pointing to the man who, when he came out of the water, was praying. And a dove landed on him that said, You're my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. God is pleased with Christ, and his work was to bring us to God. And God is pleased in the work that he has done. So you're all invited into the kingdom, no matter what you've done. If there's someone you're holding out on, holding a grudge because they've done something awful and terrible, be reconciled to them. If you need to make that first step, if you need to confess how you've failed, find the people you've wronged and confess it. There's love. And it is God, and he wins at the end of the day. And that's all I got to say tonight. <laughs> so thanks. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.